Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics podcast. I'm on today with Ahmed El Samadisi. Ahmed, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, guys. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me here. I'm Ahmed. I spent the last 10 years of my life working in data, so got to have a lot of time, uh, especially running the data team for WeWork and working very heavy with marketing and analytics to really help make better decisions. And I'm here just to share some of the stories and um, excited to kind of have this conversation. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. So you, you name drop WeWork. What did you do over there? I ran data for WeWork. So I got to help WeWork from early as a first data person to building out an entire 45-person data team, which wow. includes analytics, AI, ML, and all sorts of different uh, parts of data. And it's kind of narrator, the company I currently run, actually was inspired by some of the challenges that I was seeing at WeWork and a lot of other major tech companies. So what are some of those problems that plague the industry that you're trying to solve? Yeah, so the biggest problem is how we get from a question to an answer. If everyone here who's worked with marketing will tell you that the marketing team will go to the data team and it takes like two weeks to a month to get an answer. And the reason why that happens is actually bringing data into one place is really solved. But like preparing the data into a structure that's easy to use to answer these complex questions that are bridging multiple systems is extremely hard. And that's the innovation that we spend years to kind of uh, create a new alternative to the standard status quo that exists today, which is known as a star schema. So we build a single table that helps ask and answer questions across all your different sources and it has built-in identity resolution, which is critical because, as you know, with all the privacy regulation and all the things happening in marketing, it is extremely hard to understand what, what your user behavior uh, clearly. Yeah, so what's an example of a question that you'd want to answer that uh, narrator can help with? Yeah, I'll give you two questions that seem super simple, and I'm sure every marketing person has asked it, but they're very hard. Let's go with a simple question that's like, how many people that came to our website called us? Yeah. Should seem relatively easy, right? Like everyone comes to our website and they call. That question, if you ask it to a data team, will tell you, oh, give me like a month. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the reason why it's really hard to answer that question is that your website data is often in your front end tracking, your segment, your uh, snowplow, your heap, and your back and your call data is often in your Salesforce or any call center data. Now, that data both might live in the warehouse, which your data team controls, but stitching that data together is extremely hard. And one different identifier is a phone number versus a cookie versus an email, and it's extremely difficult. Another variation of this question that also causes a lot of trouble is if you're sending email campaigns and you're like, uh, did it, which email campaign led to the order? That also seems like an easy question, but it's an extremely hard question. Actually, it's so hard that almost every single CDP, like Amplitude, Heap, Mixpanel, and, and Segment, what they often do is they kind of hack at it. And they say, give me everyone who is part of this campaign and also bought. And everybody's part of like 30 campaigns because you've tried different things. Knowing which campaign led to that order, that question is extremely hard. And people just kind of ignore it because of how hard it is to answer. And I think these are the kind of questions that you can do in minutes with Narrator. And that's kind of why people end up buying and using narrators because these kind of questions are the questions that actually lead to insights. When you can actually tie the real email campaign, then you can send more of the good one. But if you're just like, have tried a hundred email campaigns and you're like, well, one of these, a lot, everyone is in part of, everyone has probably touched 10 campaigns now. And we're like, did this campaign lead to an order? Like, sure. But when you start sending out more of that email campaign, you don't end up seeing your orders go up in the same way. And that's why these questions are critical. I now understand the questions you can answer and the problem statement uh, that you're seeking to solve. And how does Narrator actually solve that problem? You, I think you mentioned identity resolution. Is that is that it? No, so that's part of it. Um, being really good at being being able to do identity stitching across all your sources in your warehouse with that, on data that you control. So not trying to do it on the front end that breaches GDPR compliance, but doing it on the back end and combining all the data on the data side, on the warehouse, post, not, no engineering required. That's one huge piece of it. The second larger piece is we decided to change how we actually structure data. So traditional data is known as a star schema. 
you can think about it as you have like a lot of tables in Excel. Each table has a bunch of columns that you're like looking and you're plotting that data. And whenever you want to attribute data to another another um, thing, you have to kind of do a VLOOKUP with some identifier. The problem is that identifier for VLOOKUP never works, never exists. If you're anytime you bridge it one system like a call center to your website or your website to your order system or your order system to your internal database, there's no VLOOKUP ID. You have to make one. So you have to kind of you have to make one and that making one is a thousand line SQL query and it's real and you often do it wrong and it's really hard. So narrated decided, what if we can actually change how we structure data? So instead of having all these tables and trying to do a view lookup, which never exists, what if we force it all to be around the customer and have this customer in time and use like the way we speak about things using kind of temporal association. Like I just opened an email and then right a minute after I called I can then easily, using those time-based operators, associate these actions across my entire warehouse. And this works when you have a billion rows or a hundred billion rows or a trillion rows. So doing that temporal way of relating data is really, really different in data. And getting that to actually work is quite, took us several years to get that to actually work. So we're the only company that kind of does that level of event-based temporal association instead of lookups as your data system. And that really has a beautiful consequence of allowing people to ask and answer questions incredibly fast that are incredibly fuzzy, that are incredibly hard to do. And that's kind of what the little twist, that, that's like the narrative solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're, you're building the proper data foundation where once you build that, then answering the questions becomes a lot easier. And uh, in the industry right now, a lot of the data foundation was built um, you know, 10 years ago on, on 10 year old technology. And we don't have that new, newer advanced um, foundation that you're bringing to the market. And so this is really, this is a transformation that's happening in real time. Uh, so that's really exciting to see. Yeah. I think a little bit goes a little bit deeper than that, to be honest. Like what we've done is that we built a lot more new tools to do the same, to do, uh, we built a lot of new tools to solve problems in the same way we used to. So like, for example, today, one of the most leading companies is DBT, which is an incredible tool that helps you manage uh, your transformations and write SQL and kind of build these tables. Before DBT existed, you had what's called Airflow. Before Airflow, it was Luigi. Before Luigi, it was Cron. Before Cron, it was Microsoft Store of Procedures. That's like 40 years of innovation right here. But yet, we're still doing things the same way. And what we realized after being, after I've implemented the same system now seven, eight times in a standard way, is that it wasn't a problem with tooling. It's a problem of fundamental approach. No matter how good you get at tooling, your VLOOKUPs still don't exist. So we need to change our approach to do something more of the way we are asking questions, using something the way that we talk about it, giving to a world where we're more temporal and understanding behavior because the industry, not just is technology changing, but the way we capture information is also changing. In 50 years ago, you had one database and that's all you used. So like joining based on VLOOKUP always worked. Now you're a startup, you have your ticketing system and your email system and your like seven email system and your ads and your web tracking and your backend tracking and your internal database and your order and your Salesforce and you're like, oh my God. And none of those systems actually ever have lookups in between of them. And that's the fundamental thing that led me to be like, okay, we need a fundamentally different approach that assumes the lookup will never exist. And that's what led to the formation of what we call the this original process is known as a star schema. We created something new called the activity schema that we open sourced to allow the world to kind of see a different way of thinking about data. Very cool. Open source. That is uh, definitely the new trend in building technology. I heard that the one danger with open source is that hackers can see the inner workings of the software. So security is becomes even more important um, how do you how do you feel about that? Yeah, those, it's a huge problem. Um, so we did not open source our software for that exact reason. To maintain privacy and quality and reliability, especially when you're housing companies, like when you're helping companies use their own data, I am a strong believer in like, don't open source your core software because that does lead to possible risks. So what we've done was we've open sourced our approach and said, here is the philosophy and here's how we have the single table approach, the single table that we mentioned. 
here's how it could how it could work and here's what you can do with it now building a world around it and building a software that syncs to your data and, and has the ability to communicate with with these systems and combines the data and makes everything so easy and generates like what we call narratives which are like story formatted analyses to help you make better decisions that is like business critical tech and that should not be available for anyone to see and that's not open source that's what people pay money for that's why you buy narrator um so really giving the both worlds so we actually move the movement forward to solve this problem that people are having without ever putting us in a place where we can risk our customers information or risk our customer at all uh we end up doing this kind of only open sourcing part of it we call it activity schema and then there's narrator and narrator is built to help you implement an activity schema activity schema is open source narrator is fully protected keeps your data sore hipaa compliant gdpr compliant SOC 2 like Every badge we had, we kind of went on to ensure that people knew that we take this stuff so seriously because we want to give you that quality. That yeah, that thank you. Um, it sounds like you do have a very good focus on uh, privacy protection, and so that that leads me to a natural next question around the trend of our of the marketing uh, and data industry going towards more anonymization. And do you think that is that any sort of a roadblock for you? Yeah, great question. So this is known as like the cookie-less future. We wrote a blog post on it. So let's understand the motivation behind the cookie-less future and what we're trying to do. So what we're trying to minimize with like GDPR and a lot of these compliance rules is stop giving customer information that they give you personally to other people. Like that is the goal. It's not to try to hide information from you because you can store the information in your system. You can help make better decisions. It's that stop giving that to other people so other people can buy it and manipulate them. So don't run these things. So what ends up, this is actually why Narrator is so powerful because Narrator doesn't take data out, ever out of your system. We live as a way to process your data on your warehouse. So we're like kind of like a invisible tool that's helping you make these kind of associations of data. Now, your customer is going to your website. They're telling you stuff. The problem is that you're actually end up, you end up using something called identify or telling other systems who this customer is. That's not in the spirit of GDPR. That's not what you want to do. You want to store that data internally in your system. And internally, you can stitch that user across all your systems. Of course, because you have that data, you should be able to, inside your system, tie that person's cookie to their order, to their tickets, to their calls, and everything inside the system, the customer has given you that information and has allowed you to have their information. And then from there, you should make your own decisions on what's marketing is working and everything without giving your that data to Facebook. Then you can say, hey, Facebook, run this different campaign. Hey, Google, run this different campaign. Let me spend more money. And the more we keep data running, not in these external systems, but in your internal system, then you actually maintain that privacy. And I think that's the big thing where convenience and privacy are kind of at odds because like uh, Facebook wants you to give it all their data. So does Amplitude. So does Heap. All these companies are like, oh, just post to us and we'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And they're making you send all your data to their systems. While the narrator says, no, 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 no. Take your data. Keep it in your system. Don't identify the user on the front end. Don't tell people who this person is. Don't let Facebook know who this person is. Instead, take this data and keep it stored that the customer has entrusted you with in your safe warehouse, under your VPN, in things. And we're going to give you a lot of, in a very opinionated way, that, and with a lot of this kind of tech to help you, without us ever seeing your data, inside your system, stitch that identity across. And then create that full picture. Ask and answer those questions. Evaluate those campaigns. Make those better decisions. And then when you figure out what decision you want to make, only then control those ads and spend more money or less money on those systems. Stop trying to take the, or, or take the aggregated data and anonymize everything, remove the people, take the aggregations and say, you want more of this kind of industry. Take the insights, use the insights to drive the ads instead of giving the your data to these other companies and having them figure out the insights for you. We're making finding those insights so cheap and so quick and so secure while data is always in your system that you can afford to now do that without having the inconvenience. So therefore, you don't have to ever give your data to anybody else. And I think that's the future we want to see. That's the point of GDPR, and this is what the companies are doing. That's a great point, and I think it's an important thing to clarify that the all of this privacy regulation, the point is not to restrict the company that you're dealing with 
uh, but rather the comp the other companies that that company could potentially deal with. Um, so it's really exactly. it's keeping the trans the data transaction between the two parties and not allowing it to be merchandised further. Yeah, and that's the critical thing. And you see a lot of companies trying to go around that. It's really kind of weird, like. Like if a person gives you their email, then you have the right to combine that email with their cookie and understand them on your system. If the person never gives you their email, don't use a third-party system that's trying to guess their email from like their IP address by scraping other company stuff. Like that's not in the spirit of what they're trying to do. Um, and the same thing, like when you when every one of these companies is posting that data to all these other services, those services now have way more pieces that the customer did not agree to. Now that service has like seven different companies that have now sent them their data and now they can start stitching it and being like, oh, I know who this is because this person gave their email to one of these nine companies that use our product. And now you're like, I didn't give it to these other nine. Why these other nine companies having my information? And I think that's the, like, the thing that we keep pushing. And you're going to see a world where more things are coming to the warehouse. More, like, more, I've seen now marketing teams are very much, almost every marketing team, knows that data is should be coming from your data warehouse and be stored there. More marketing people are no longer as susceptible because there is a lot of like marketing BS on like websites. So like, don't worry. And like, yada, yada, yada. Like if the data is not in your system and you're giving it to someone else, like then you're putting yourself at risk. And I'm very fan of never give your data to everyone else. Mm -hmm. The, there's the term that data is the new oil or it's, you know, the, the new, uh, X or something, it, it, it'll, you know, there's a lot of these metaphors about the value of data. And I think the this outlines it quite well, that you're focused on enriching the data that a company has rather than monetizing it um, in, you know, in, in the older ways that, that now we have privacy regulations to protect against. Exactly, exactly. And data is valuable but people think that different parts of data is valuable i think it's a really important thing to realize like a lot of people like to think that like you're going to give your data to watson and watson's going to be like here's a magic campaign that's going to make you a trillion dollars that's not what happens these tools are really incentivized to not be in your best interest i make this joke all the time where facebook and i'll call them out like facebook is notoriously bad at this so this is true in every single time. Facebook loves telling you that your ROI, your return on investment is like 4X. So like every dollar you spend on ads on Facebook, like it'll give you 4X the return. I've worked with so many companies and a lot of companies have used Narrator that has never, ever come close. Like a Facebook average ROI really is like a 1.1, like a 1.2. It's like tiny. Um, and then you're like, well, Facebook, how did you decide that your 4X my return? And Facebook is like, well, don't worry. We have a proprietary secret algorithm that you gave me all your data. And now I figured out that I'm returning you 4x the return. And you're like, what? Like, if that's the case, I should be like printing money by just advertising. And then they're like, yeah, just keep sending us more of your money. We're returning you 4x. Don't worry about it. And then you're like, what? And then Pinterest is like, we're 5x. And you're like, how are you giving these great returns? And then when you switch to doing your data on yourself and you control it and doing it, and then like, you, you, every marketer here knows and anyone who's watched this podcast will tell you like you see 4x ROI you double your spend your money isn't doubling your return isn't doubling you barely like increase your return by 10% and then you're like why and then everyone has some theory of like well maybe blah 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 but the output is not the same and then you move your data to your warehouse and you start doing your processing with your data with you control it and thinking through the problem and seeing this person came to our site from an ad this person bought and then you get a real return and it's like 1.2. And you're like, wow, that's real. But then you start spending money and exactly how you expected it to happen now starts working. And when you have truth in data, just simple questions like how much uh, orders and how many return I got from this specific campaign, those simple questions actually show you a lot more in details about the lever. And you don't need, people love, love abstracting away like a lot of the uh, articles written about multi-touch attribution and all that stuff is actually written by these ad companies to try to make you think that it's too complicated for you to do on your own. And then if you run narrator, we do look, we have this really good analysis that we run for most companies at the beginning. That's like, do you need, what attribution model should you use? If somebody comes for the first time ever from an ad and then the rest of it is never coming from an ad, 
then first touch is great. If somebody comes from like organic and then gets comes back from an ad before they buy, then you might want to use a weighted or a um, first pay touch model. If someone is coming from multiple ads during before their journey, then you might want to use a multi-touch attribution model. Now, narrator goes in and it kind of looks at all these different cases and starts telling you, okay, look, this is a number of people who come from this ad and actually come from another ad afterward. And what you see is like 99% of your customers are coming from one ad only. Like very few customers are coming from Facebook and then coming from Google. And everyone thinks that it's like, they imagine it to be like, like 50%, but it's not. And, and I'm not saying some companies do have a 50%. I don't know everyone's business. I'm saying you have to, before you start using these companies that do all this complex modeling and hiding it behind the word of AI, let's look at your data and see, are your customers coming from multiple like ad platforms? Are they coming from one app platform? Are they coming from organic and then get coming again from a paid? We often see that like, honestly, like first touch, which is so simple and is the most basic version for like most companies is like 99% of your customers that will make sense for. So then with that, you have clarity in what's happening. You can understand what's happening and you don't get this obfuscation that these companies are doing with like, we have an AI attribution model that we've decided that all your customers are secretly Facebook customers. And you're like, what? <laughs> I want to see the truth. I want to see the session. I want to see somebody coming to our website. I want to see them buying. And that clarity is critical. So that's kind of the value of data is that visibility and seeing. And when you do data correctly and you're not being manipulated by these other companies, then data should be linear. Double the money, double the output. There is worlds where you hit saturation and stuff like that. But like that doesn't happen for most companies because like if you're like an e-commerce company, for you to hit saturation, you need to be spending like five to six million dollars uh, a month in a specific segment to like actually hit saturation on like Facebook or Google ads. So like don't worry about saturation yet. We have an analysis to help you understand when you saturate. But the critical thing is having that lever where your money and your intuition should be moving the data in the same way. And if it's not, then the data itself is lying to you. And often it's this obfuscation of like attribution models or obfuscation of like rev ROI that these companies are doing that you can't see how they're doing it that leads to that results. That's interesting. There's a question that, you know, go across the marketing world of do you invest your money only in that marketing that can be measured and is showing really good returns? Or is do you leave some room for less efficient tactics that you know you can't really quantify the entire impact? Like, let's say the Steve Jobs 1984 television ad campaign that won, you know, awards. It was like one of the best ad campaigns ever, but it was an upper funnel branding campaign. And if you measure upper funnel branding campaigns, you don't get really good attribution. So how would you reconcile measuring versus that? Yeah. So, well, so there's two parts there. One is a lot more things are measurable when you have control over the data than you think. So we see a lot of times like TV ads, how do you attribute TV ads? Well, it turns out, you know, when the TV ad launches and anytime you have a TV ad, your web traffic will spike. So then you can start to everybody who comes from that time, we can assume in that spike, everyone in that group is coming from a TV ad. That's like an easy way to do a TV ad attribution model. Um, and you just break into five minute increments and you take everyone from that group and you tag them. And then you can see the evaluation of those people coming back. Other things that happen is like, I think that we often miss it. We often look at branding and SEO. So there's like brand, there's SEO and there's uh, paid or performance marketing is often known as. So the way you understand performance marketing is you look at people who come from ads and then you tag them and you see their web traffic. You're SEO people come from search and then they are often, or they might view your, view your blog, view something. You see that they came from a blog. You see that they viewed a blog and you can start understanding them. Branding is everyone who's not in the other two. So actually spending money in your, uh, on branding advertisements, what you see is that this number of people coming in from this, not these two groups, not directly searching, not directly viewing your blog, not redirected, not coming first time people coming from none of these sources, that percent of the people grows. And that's why you invest in branding. So this is known in the field of AI as what's called negative information. It's the fact that you don't see them in the other groups tells you that they're from the last group. And this negative information is what often you have to actually look at when you do branding. 
because you'll see that at conferences and different actions that you do lead to more of your branding exercises. And that's critical. So like I'm here right now, like talking to uh, you on this podcast, like, can we attribute people that came from this podcast to our website? Yeah, we can, if you click on any of the links in this website, we'll get a referral URL. We can figure it out. And we can say this is direct uh, from this podcast. But it's also partially branding. Like the more people that hear about our approach, the more people that kind of like are frustrated with the current approach and hear about something different and try it and experience it, the more people are talking about narrator. And that like not SEO, not blog, not uh, paid ads that part continues to grow. And I think that in any investment, that part is your most loyal following. So like, I think that there's a, always a good reason to continually invest in your brand because that builds up a lot of that non um, other sources and it grows slower. It's definitely valuable in the long term because it gives you consistent people. Um, and that's kind of the other thing that you want to look at. Like when you do a data analysis, like, your branding is growing consistently, but it's a consistent converter too. And they convert at a certain time. Like these people who come in from brands are coming in and buying at like 10%. People coming and retargeting from emails are coming in and buying at like 30%, but they'll, and they'll, they'll buy within a month or two. Ads is a good thing because you can often actually get that to be faster. It's often it will be a much shittier converter, like in traditional, like your ad conversions are shorter, but if you ever need to spike up your sales for a big demo or something like that's a very easy, cheap lever to do instantly, just throw money at the problem. And I think that's one of those things why ads get a lot of credit is because it's actually the easiest to just not even track, just the easiest to implement shove money and that's it. Like, um, especially with like a lot of heavy VC funding where growth is more important than return. Like, like in VC, if you are losing money on every customer, that's not bad. Like if you're a Casper, if you're like early on in Casper's history, like if you're, or any big company that has like a very high ASP, like Casper is still raising more, was raising money for a while, even though they sell a thousand dollar mattress. That's because they're willing to spend over a thousand dollars to acquire one customer, which is kind of crazy to think about. And it's fine to do that because if they, even if they acquire you at a thousand dollars or $1,500, they're still like subsidizing that with your VC money because they're showing a lot of people buying their product and they can raise more money and then take that money and subsidize more and eventually they'll figure out marketing efficiency. It's actually really funny. We see this with a lot of customers that cost of acquiring customer online when you get real visibility and data is so expensive that people actually open stores. They're like stores are cheaper. <laughs> like <laughs> opening a store in Manhattan and having tra foot traffic in the city will give you more like high quality customers that enter your store than like trying to acquire that person online because it's super expensive and the cost to pay for them is really high. Even though like a lot of these companies try to like say you're getting 4X ROI. Like if you're a startup and you're like, honestly, if you're a startup and your ROI on like your ads is like you're losing 10 cents on every dollar you spend, you're probably doing great. Like you're subsidizing the last 10 cents um, with VC money and you're fine. Like grow your, you're just trying aiming for growth. And then that'll help you get bigger brand and then you'll be able to spend less money. So like, that's kind of the world we're in today. It's kind of interesting, right? Yeah, this is, uh, I, I really, I can't talk in too much detail, but DirecTV just did have a 30% buyout of, uh, by, by TPG partners, which is uh, a VC that came in. And it was really interesting to watch the strategy change. And uh, a lot of it was along the lines of what you were talking about. And I think that's just how the industry works. Like that is just the, uh, in, in terms of like bulking and, and cutting uh, to use like workout terminology. I mean, that's really how the marketing stack uh, operates. Exactly. And the, the thing about it is like it makes, I, and I think that's great as long as you're able to see it. Like the, the dangerous thing is when it's happening and it's not, you don't know. Like the worst part about it, like you think you're doing it, but it's not actually doing what you think you're doing. Like if you're like, I'm spending a dollar and I'm getting 90% back on ads and I'm very confident in that, then you have, you're, you're able to spend more money, continue to lose more money, but get customers. The dangerous thing is when you think you're doing a 4X ROI and you're actually getting a 0.8. Mm -hmm. That's dangerous. And I think that's the thing that like, you got to remember that the value for the ad platforms is to get you to spend more money. So they want to show you the best numbers and they're not at all aligned with your best interest. 
So I think that's like, you're going to see this huge push, which is like, you got to kind of figure out that balance of honesty, investment in data, what cost is going to be, and really ensuring that you're doing these things, even no matter what your strategy is, that you're getting, you're implementing the strategy and you're seeing the returns honestly and reliably, because the worst thing that could happen is you can have strategy A and not realize because of the data obfuscation, they are actually doing a strategy B. Mm-hmm. And then things are not behaving the way you expect. And now you're more confused. And then people are like, why the hell is this not working? Why the hell is this not working? Why the hell is this not working? Mm-hmm. Is this not working? Cause you're not seeing clearly. It sounds like the, the same wisdom is why students don't grade their, grade their own tests because then they'll just, they want A's, they want A pluses. So, you know, you need a independent unbiased party to, to evaluate the performance. Otherwise, you know, there just won't be as much honesty as there needs to be. Yeah, literally, this is, the, I think it's like so funny. It's a great analogy. Like, you're like, oh, I did this thing. And they're like, okay, well, you're not only going to get a test, but I'll also give you a thousand dollars if you get an A. Ooh, we're going to get some, some lenient grading if you're grading yourself <laughs> and you get a thousand dollars for getting an A. Like, you're going to be like, oh, wow, that question was almost correct. Let's give me 90% credit. Like, <laughs> and then you get this, like, trust me. I'm like a multi ginormous trillion dollar conglomerate. Don't worry about it. We're definitely, have you seen my ad campaign? We're all about the small business. We love you. <laughs> so do you have any favorite advertising platforms or anything you'd recommend? Yeah. Um, I recommend investing in data, like actually setting up, like using your data warehouse, investing in data, making decisions clearly. If you don't know what's happening with like, if you can't see a customer, coming into your website and actually that order, which comes from your backend system, all like per every dollar you spend, then like you're doing something wrong and you should invest in data and you want to see that clarity. And if your order data on your, like whatever tool you're using doesn't add up to the number of orders you actually got, then you're doing something wrong. (laughs) Like get that transparency, get that honesty and make sure these numbers are actually reliable and accurate. So that's the first thing I would say. Uh, in terms of ad platforms, I think you just, it, I think you got to look at them as tools. And I think once you understand them, like it is like I've seen a lot of examples where, like I can tell you for Narrator, for example, we spend zero dollars on Facebook because it doesn't return anything. Google is a a little better returner for us, but Google is only good for us as a like really short-term spending. It's not like something we like to spend a lot of money on and it's not something that we like to, we're getting customers from Google that are like going to come into our site like um, like years later. Like it's just very small. Well, like all our actual LinkedIn ads have always been branding. They're always just purposes. Like they're never going to click, nobody really clicks on them, but it just keeps people aware that we exist. So I think that I want to, like the way I like to look at it is that you should know for every single place you're spending your money, like this thing is going to give me this many, like if I spend a thousand dollars, I'm going to get this many sales and it's going to take three months for those sales to close. And then it depends about your strategy. Like it's okay if you're, if it costs you a thousand dollars to make $5,000 or to make, to make $50, that's fine. As long as you have those three numbers and you think about those things as a lever of systems that you have. And once you decide what overall they behave, then I think within that you tune. And I think that like, I think the biggest things that people also underestimate, honestly, one of the things that we always see with customers is that retargeting sucks in ads. Like I think it's way worse than everyone ever imagines. Email, incredible for retargeting. Like start testing those emails and those like subject lines. Like, hey, limited coupon. Mike, it might actually, we do this a lot with customers. Like you say, your coupon might actually like be 10% coupon will get you more sales than actually spending ads to get to get those coupons. Like if you net how much money you're gonna people are gonna take from coupons, let's say it's a thousand dollars you're gonna give away using coupons, which is a thousand dollars of your own money, which is great. And that lifetime value of a customer is pretty high or whatever it is. Like emails are free. And leveraging those as really good triggers is good. Understanding email saturation is also really key. Don't send di- after a certain number of emails, you're going to lose the customer. So you know, you, there is a finite number of emails that you actually could send, knowing what that finite is and using them in the emails that work. I think it's retargeting. So I'm a big fan of you spend ad money to get new users. Never stop investing in your brand. Always be investing in your brand. 
attribute things as much as you can. So those those like uh, billboards are tricky to attribute, but do it. You see a lot of like go to backslash one two three is a great way to kind of like estimate where the multiplier, how much billboard seeing is. So I would say those people are direct billboard. There's going to be a billboard brand value. Keep that in mind. Um, and yeah, and just kind of be using these tools as based on what your business is. And like, if you use narrator, like uh, you can just chat me, like chat ours. We have all data people on support. So like often because we just deal with so many customers, we have a set of intuition and you can be like, Hey, here's my data. Like I'm trying to understand, like, here's what I'm seeing in, in narrator and all the behavior. I want to like increase this thing and I want to like do a big press release and I need more customers. What do you recommend? And our, our person will be like, okay, let's figure out which one works the fastest. Might not be the best converter, but let's start, let's start move, uh, mobilizing those kind of users and reactivating some of the old ones um, to really enable you to get that goal. That's very important. Um, I, I really like that point. Um, especially when you said the, the difference between a coupon and spending money on advertising and how you can actually make more money by giving a coupon away than advertising to those people. And that makes perfect sense. It's, it's like you're talking about incremental customers and how many additional customers can you get um, had you not run a campaign uh, or, or with, with the addition of a specific campaign and using that for an ROI. Yeah. Like you think about it and you think about these companies and how much, like if I, if you knew how much money people are willing to spend for a meeting, like you see this actually the rise of like gifting people. Like I can get like, like if I, if my average contract value for like in B2B business is let's say 40 K I will gladly spend two, three K to get a customer uh, to start a POC maybe. And then if I'm really good at converting them, I'll spend a thousand dollars. That means I can literally pay, give you an iPad to get you to, to take my first meeting with me. Like that would be profitable instead of, and you would be happier with an iPad in a first meeting than if I spend that money on ads, which is what a lot of people are doing today. So like you're seeing that movement actually with a lot of companies giving gifts is like, it's way cheaper for me to buy you an iPad than spend money on ads. And I think a lot of consumers would rather like, if you get them, would rather get an iPad than know that you spent like all that money retargeting them. Like I still, you probably still get it too. There's companies that are like one-time purchases and you're like, why am I getting Netflix ads? I'm already a subscriber. Mm -hmm. <laughs> give yeah, me a discount. Like you're spending like $50 on me to in ads, like just give me like a $2 discount and I'm still going to be low forever. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's funny. Like you, you buy something where like a bed where you only need one and then you get retargeted for beds for the next month and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and they're spending a lot of money on you for that. And that's that's poor data. That's like, and like, and what's funny is that that money, because of a lot of bad attribution companies and like it's companies that like, that spend is getting attributed as like purchased because you already purchased. And people are like, well, I turned that flag off, which is like, if I already purchased, remove them. Are you like, we have an analysis that we do that. We call it wasted spend. We're look at how many people are coming from ads that have already purchased and you would be surprised. <laughs> I bet like 15 wow. to 20% of your ad budget is going to people who have already bought and will never buy again. Because like you said, you're selling in beds, right? How many are you going to buy in a, in a short period of time? Wow. Yeah. Um, let's see. I have a, what, so uh, this is uh, kind of a fun question. What do you love about marketing and or analytics? Um, so I think marketing itself and, and, actually, and analytics, I think both of them have to have the same thing that I really appreciate. Well, there's two pieces. One is learning the behavior of people. I think that like I used to make this joke where I said, if data like if data ever tells you something that is so counterintuitive to what you what you already know the data is wrong like it's like data is trying to help you quantify your intuition if it's so different like chances are the data is wrong assume that first um so getting that like really in tune intuition uh like being able to kind of quantify your intuition about your customer's behavior I think it's a fascinating thing. Like your mental model of your customer gets richer and richer and richer 
once you that you go from just intuition to actually understanding that percentage. So you think people are like going here, 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 and then you discover they're going A, B, waiting a week and then coming to C. And you're like, whoa, that's interesting. And I think that level of understanding your customer, I think as a marketer, is like your joy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you are living and breathing that understanding. And I think in analytics, it is the ability to like help move the customer to get what they want better. Like I like to think about analytics as like it is trying to get you to like I don't think I I think bad analytics is trying to manipulate you. Good analytics is trying to help figure out what you're trying to do and get you there faster and simpler. Mm -hmm. So I come from a robotics background where robots are working with humans. So the point of robotics is to help do things without you thinking about it. Like, and we are so bad at doing that. Like I should know that if you like, like if you use narrator, you'll see this in our kind of the way that narrator works. Like as you're behaving, like you did something on the website and then you jumped off and I'm like, Oh wait, you were trying to probably get to that, but you didn't. I'm just going to send you an email saying, Hey, just in case you wanted to know, like, I like, here's a little interesting doc page. Here's a little video about how to do this thing. And often our customers will reply to that marketing email saying like, Oh, thank you. That is what I was trying to do. Like that is what you really want to do. You want to guide. And it comes to an, we're B2B. So we're mostly on product analytics and stuff like that. But if you're doing like uh, e-commerce, like a lot of times the customer is trying to find something. Like imagine if you went to something, you saw something that you viewed something that was sold out and you viewed something that was sold out four times. Like it should be that when that, you should get an email that says, Hey, I know you saw this thing that sold out. Like you can either click here or if you, or maybe just tell you, we're going to let you know when it's ready. And guess what? Because of your enthusiastic, when it's ready, I'm going to give you 10% off the price. That customer, when they get that email saying this thing is available in stock and you got 10% because we knew you watched it, they know you care. They understand that you're actually paying attention to them. They don't have to constantly keep checking the website. So you're saving them so much time and money. And then you're giving them like the best experience ever. Mm-hmm. Like a customer that like clicked into and changed the order speed. This was known by Zapier. Zapier was made this thing very popular. So if you change the order, when you start seeing the analytics, how many customers are coming in and actually using, trying to see how much it costs to get a faster shipping. Some people don't care. Some people do care. Now let's say 10% of people that do care. What if you upgraded them for free? What if you, I send them an email, say, I noticed you try to change the price. I'm sorry our shipping costs more. We're waiving the fee and we're giving you the shipping in actually two days instead of the five days. If you have analytics, you can actually see that that might actually return a higher LTV. That customer might come back and buy way more frequently because of that small $3 instead of spending the $50 to retarget them in ads. And I think that's the thing that makes analytics really exciting for me is being able to give that customer that experience that makes everything they do worth it and feeling like the company really cares. And as a data provider, we are helping people like use data to make better decisions. I spend so much of my life dedicated to like, how do I get the user to understand the customer so innately that they're able to make these decisions? So narrator doesn't never gives you like, women convert twice as much as men. We don't give you that stuff. That's useless. We like to give you stories that helps you understand what's happening. Like here's how many orders you're getting. Here's how, here's how people are coming, men and women. And here's how they're converting. And here's how it's been reliable over time. And now if you actually were to shift your targeting to get more of this kind of group, Here's what could have happened to your business. And here's how much, what, what you would want to change. And here's how it makes sense. And it's all written in English. And the narrator goes, don't worry about it. We're going to rerun this analysis for you every week. So as you're behaving, if the outcome starts changing or just becomes not actionable, we'll email you and let you know. And that's the thing that makes analytics so beautiful. Is like that little, it's like a deep connection you have with a billion random people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I I really like that. And I think that's the trend of the industry. In the future, we will have less of a dependence on ad buying and more of a focus on what are the levers we can pull with our own actions for the customer? What are the concessions we can make to, to surprise and delight the customer? And how can we how can we measure the ROI of those actions versus ad paid advertising? That's yeah. probably the, that's I think the next step, and you're laying it out well. 
A hundred percent. And I think everybody wants that. I think the only reason we don't do that is because it's harder to track that. And that's kind of why I'm so excited to bring narrated more people. It's like, we will help you see that. We'll help you understand that. And then you can do more. And honestly, it makes the marketing job also way more better than just choosing which campaign to run in Facebook. Like finding those little things and they're so much cheaper. Like the cost is always cheaper. The ROI is way higher. And if you can see that, you can start creating that experience I love the book Delivering Happiness and the story of Zappos because they do a lot of those things and they dedicate most of their time and resources into that world. And like they'll talk about like their customers and kind of going above and beyond. And people talk like talk a lot about that as culture. But I think that that culture is enabled with understanding because we still want to one of they want to quantify it. Like you're a marketing, a marketing analyst or a marketing person. You want to say, like, I changed shipping and started sending these emails to give people free shipping. And it cost us $3,000, but it gave us back $20,000. So like, that's way more valuable. And I think that's the key that you want to start seeing in the world is let's make the customer experience so much better, but let's understand and quantify it as we make those changes. Mm -hmm. You you mentioned um, uh, uh, the book uh, about Zappos. Are there any other books or content or influencers that you follow uh, that you would recommend to others? Yeah. Um, I have a lot of books that I really, really enjoy in general. So I'll give some of them that are marketing and some of them are not marketing. Um, I love Crossing the Chasm. I'm sure a lot of marketing people are just a big yes, marketing book and getting well. early adopters. Um, I love the design of everyday thing. Uh, the design of everyday things. It's all about kind of how we communicate to the user different small things. He has this really funny situation which is like door handles should not need an instruction manual like you shouldn't see a pull or push for me to know how to use a door so stuff like that is really critical in creating that experience for the user uh i'm really interested right now i've been i, I read a lot about um if you know the this started a movement but conscious loving is a great book and it's about understanding people and really being able to communicate in effective ways and understanding relationships I find like the principles there, they spun out something called conscious leadership. They spun up a lot of things that help in that world. So I'm much more in tune of those places. Uh, marketing influencers, I'm, I struggle sometimes with. I think that like it is, I like to look at experts in the field is the best way I would say it. Like take everything with a grain of salt because everyone is like, everyone has an, like, an ulterior motive. Everyone. And I think you got to be really careful because like people are good hearted, but there's always an ulterior and knowing, knowing how you're, how you're paying is always critical to me. So I always wonder like if this person is making money, like I am making money from people who are watching this right now, because a part of you, like I am in the business of helping you make better decisions, but you're going to pay me to do that. Like you're going to buy my software. So like, I'm okay with that because I feel like, I net good because you're paying for something that's going to help you make better decisions. And it is one of the cheapest and most effective ways of doing it. I think if you don't know what the benefit is for the person to like, who's telling you, like if Facebook is writing an ad for you, telling you to do something, I'm just like, I'm more skeptical of influencers because I tend, they tend to be paid by sponsorships um, instead of by paid by like really something that's trying to either build a brand or something that's trying to solve, help you solve a problem. So just be conscientious of that. Uh, of what the person is trying to do so yeah that's kind of the that's things but those books are great read the books absolutely absolutely i i like what you said there and uh i'll i'll say personally i'm trying to line up a sponsorship for this podcast because the reality is if you're not making money in some form from your efforts to get the message out you're gonna it's it's almost like um I, I don't know how to put it, but you're like a chump in a way, you know, you get, yeah. you have to have some kind of a return for, for the work that you put in. And I think the key, instead of to just say, well, I'm going to do this for the greater good. I'm just going to give people insight for the greater good. Um, rather just be really transparent about how you're getting a return. Like you just were like you, you and you phrased it beautifully and even a book you know you have to buy the book you, ha you have to pay the author for that message and um you know so so yeah absolutely i think it's important to keep in mind how the um how like the the catch or the hook or how the information is being monetized 
Um, it's a great point. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's a little bit more. It's align it on the same, as long as you align the goal in line with the people who are uh, with you. So like, like, I think that you, as long as it's aligned intentions, like mm -hmm. um, versus not aligned. So like if you're preaching marketing and you're an ad company receiving marketing money, like I'm incentivized to give you, let you give me more money. If you're like in your case, you're helping educate people about marketing analytics, partnering with companies that are trying to help people educate them about marketing analytics, whether it's something like educationally like Code Academy or something more analytics like Narrator, like those are, it's, it's in line and therefore it's moving the world in the same direction that your intention and your uh, desires are trying to do. And I think people know that, especially marketing people. We know we're trying to do that. So like, as long as we're doing it in the way that we are proud and we can stand up like, and say to everybody, then we're great. But if it's like hidden in a subset of a subset of a subset that I'm secretly sponsored by Facebook ads, like I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. like, or I'm secretly an investor in this company that's doing this, that's helping it, like, duh. Mm -hmm. Like I feel a little bit more uncomfortable with that. I like to be like very much um, as direct and honest as possible. And I think people, people know it. Like your time is not free and you're dedicating it, but it's valuable because like you're not really directly charging. You're hoping some people learn something and somebody buys, but at the end of the day, that person who buys is subsidizing your time for the other thousand people that get to listen and enjoy and learn something new. Yeah, that's really interesting. And this is really giving me a new perspective on how I should talk about sponsorships and different incentives on the podcast. So I appreciate that. Awesome. I, I, I think this is a great ending point. I mean, th this has been a really great conversation. Ahmed, thank you. No, thank you, Alex. It's been really, really incredible. You've asked a lot of interesting questions and we dove into so many aspects of marketing. I kind of really enjoy these pieces put together in such a nice way. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon.